Sweet. So after uh, we released the two prologue episodes, we received a few questions on like what and how Neverforge plays. Um, and so we figured we'd sit down and give kind of a like brief intro just about the rules, the concept behind Neverforge, what kind of some of those um, D6 roles mean, and how you as a character progress. So I'm just going to dive into kind of our, our inspiration for this. I wanted to, when I first thought of Necroforge, I wanted to create this game where you could die and come back to life. And when you die, your experience goes to the monsters. I think I mentioned that briefly um, in the first, in the next episode that's going to be posted after this one. Yeah, and I mentioned it at the beginning of the first prologue episode as well. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the world gets harder and harder. But to do that, we we kind of had to get rid of levels. So we trashed levels, and then uh, instead of levels, we did this kind of experience buy where you spend the experience that you gain from defeating monsters and later on roleplay to gain new perks. In addition to that, you can spend experience to get um, skill points to level up your attributes. This idea came more from the Star Wars Edge of the Empire kind of game if anybody has played that mm-hmm. but yeah so with um like leveling up or leveling up uh ranks and perks uh ranks in skills ranks and attributes um even leveling up weapons by spending experience to improve your weapons damage um to improve your armor stuff like that uh we have a set like experience uh, chart on some of those we have in our rule book. I don't want to dive into the numbers too heavily here because this is just more to give everybody an understanding rather than sorry here. the the numbers are pretty subject to change at the moment too. We've changed them a couple of times. So. Exactly, exactly. So at the moment, I don't want to I don't want to touch on numbers too much. I just want to kind of give you guys an idea of what we're doing. We also mentioned in the beginning of the first episode of the prologue that we use a D6 system, and I got direct feedback from some people saying that it didn't make a lot of sense that we were using a D6 system, yet people like Richard's character Raven were rolling 16s on acrobatics checks. This was taken from... The idea of using the D6s was kind of taken from um, Savage Worlds, I think is the is the thing that we, it was called. Yeah. But basically, I saw that like there was just this D6 system, and I really liked the simplicity of it, and because we're trying to make Necroforge complex to a point where like if somebody wants to dive that deep into the complexity they can but also simple enough for somebody to just be able to pick it up and play where these d6s come in is uh each rank that you have in a skill you get a roll of d6 so in the example of richard's character raven raven had a what rank three in acrobatics and then what your (laughs) finesse was like plus four or something i think it was Plus four, plus three. I balanced my skills out a little more for okay. Raven, but I think it was like a plus three. Plus well, we were playing an, e- an easy level, yeah, like mid campaign or prologue <clears throat> campaign two. Um, so yeah, you had a. Let's just assume you had a, a, a nine finesse, so you got a plus four. Yeah. Um, so basically, because Raven had three ranks in acrobatics, he got to roll three d six, and then he added his finesse modifier, which was the plus four. Attributes we also did a little bit weird. Um, when we first were designing Necroforge, I had a huge problem with D&D's modifier versus ability score equation because it doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. So Brittany and I brainstormed this this other idea where basically five is this middle ground where you get a plus minus zero at an attribute score of five. And then if you below if you go below five, every value below five, you get a minus one until you get to an ability score or an attribute score of one, then you get a minus four. And then every attribute score above five, you get a plus one until you get to a 10 where you get a plus five. Um, and that's the max that you can get and the minimum that you can have. And those basically add to your skills, whether they're like your acrobatics or your combat skills or your aether schools and stuff like that. Um, so that's kind of the the basics of like I guess the skeletal system of our rules using skills and attributes and then also like spending experience to gain new perks that way when you die you don't lose like 10,000 experience and mean you lose levels instead you have these perks and it encourages the constant spending of experience to grow 
as a character, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, did you two want to go over the like idea behind the class trees a little bit? Yeah. When we first started designing the class system, um, we wanted it to be really like hyper customizable just because sometimes when you're playing other role-playing games you have like a class and like that's what you do and that's all that you do and there's no room for like mixing and matching in D&D you have multi-classing which was just I feel like a really complicated way to handle that um and it didn't seem to work very well either you kind of set yourself back like if you leveled one class up to five and then decided to multi-class you're like level one in this other class now and so you're gonna get left behind on one class and everyone's gonna get more powers than you at seven and it just felt really messed up to me i didn't like the way that dandy does it yeah so how we decided to design it was in kind of a like a constellation for lack of a better word like a network um, so you start at a base point and then from that point, as long as the perk that you want is connected to another perk and doesn't have any other prerequisites, you can take that perk. It doesn't matter if I'm a druid, which I am in, in the next, uh, in the next arc. Um, my character Nariel is a druid and she has some fighter skills because, I decided that those skills made sense for my character, and so I went and just because they are connected by a line, I was able to take those skills. So instead of having to be like, okay, well, I started from ground zero at, as a druid, but now I want a multi-class, so I'm starting at ground zero as a fighter, I can just kind of scooch over into the fighter tree, and it just kind of makes multi-classing a lot easier, and it makes customizing your character in a way that makes sense I mean, not even just for role-playing, but for gameplay, um, a lot easier. And we kind of based those trees on um, a couple of other skill trees we had seen. It's a really typical, like, video game-esque skill tree where, you know, you start here and then from here you can take, like, three skills and you pick one of those skills and then from that skill you can take three other skills and you pick one of those... Really quick, I did want to note that like just because you branched off and chose one perk, it doesn't mean that you don't get that other perk. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I just so, wanted to clarify that real quick. Yeah, so you don't have to like choose, well, this is the one skill from this level I'm going to take. It's like, so I could decide I'm going to take this skill and progress further down that line, but then later I want one of the other skills that was kind of on that same level as that skill, I can take that skill too. Um, but it's just centered around being extremely customizable so that you don't have to limit yourself to like, well, you're a fighter. So, you know, these three things, like, cause that just didn't make sense. And it, I think it really helped out. I really enjoyed Raven as a character and I played very on the line between wizard and rogue. And I think in the end, the, the, the episode wouldn't have ended the way it did if I didn't have those wizard abilities. I would not have been able to go back in time. I would not have been able to do any of that stuff. And So in a role play aspect, it's really cool. And then also for, for doing the fighting, it's also been really cool and enjoying it. Uh-huh. Um, so in the perk tree, as well as perks that'll give you different gameplay abilities, um, we have nodes in there, where when you take a node, it'll allow you to sort of branch off so you can use them to bridge over to other perks, and also they give you um, HP and AP, Aether Points. Um, with that, that is how... What was... Malice Atticus. Right. With that, that is how Atticus ended up uh, compiling so much HP, was he just took a whole grip of nodes and was very sturdy. <laughs> with, with the perk trees still in kind of their big testing period since we're just starting to play. Um, we haven't really f- really decided where the nodes are going to be. So as far as our characters now, um, up to this point, it's just been like take as many nodes as you deem necessary and we will position them later. So, I mean, 
later in development, it probably won't be possible to have 228 hit points or whatever Atticus had. And, and he just ended up there because we were just like, take as many nodes as you want. And so Mal was just like, great, I'm going to take 700 <laughs> nodes and then compile a bunch of hit points and it's going to be impossible to kill me. So it, it's not going to be possible to do that later, but um, just in general, like nodes are going to give you HP and AP and then also serve as like a bridge between other perks or other uh, perk trees. That way you don't have to purchase perks that you don't want. Yeah. yeah. You can instead just bridge them with nodes. Mm-hmm. So we designed our magic system very similar to like how video games design it. So instead of just being like, these are the number of spells you can cast, or you can cast as many number of spells as you want as long as you have the skill, we still wanted to kind of create this like balanced, yeah. balanced but still freedom to cast forms and chants the way we want. So we gave everybody Aether Points. And you start with a certain number of Aether Points based off your reason. And then, like you said, Richard, you can um, spend nodes or purchase nodes to gain more AP. And then you spend a certain number of AP, which I don't want to dive too deep into right now either because, like you said, numbers are consistently changing right now. But you spend a certain number of AT to... Eight, you spend a certain number of AP to... Um, cast a form or a chant with aspects or with a different range or with more damage and you know all these different things um so when you're talk when, when, when you hear us talk about we're spending this much ap um that's what we're doing we're determining how much we're spending to cast the former chant that we're looking to cast so we wanted to dive a little bit into how magic works in this game, just because it's a little bit different. Just like Paul was saying, um, it's kind of more based around, as far as Aether points, like how video games would work. Also along with that and along with perk trees, we really wanted to make magic as customizable as possible. So how we have magic structured is there are two parts um, to what we call a chant, which is kind of like a spell. So first, there is the form, and that is, you know, whatever shape um, or, uh, I guess, effect what you're casting is going to have. So that's going to be like, if I'm casting Bolt, it's going to shoot like a little like dart of energy. If it's, if it's wall, it's going to create a barrier in front of me of, you know, whatever, um, if it's like tear, you're like tearing into the energy. Um, the best way and the reason why we called it forms is because it's the form that you're manipulating the Aether into. So if you've ever played Dragon Age, that's kind of how their magic works. They take the energy that's already there and with their skill in casting, they form it into whatever they want it to be. So that's kind of where that name came from. The second part of a chant is going to be the aspect. Now, if you don't know any aspects as a character... It's just going to be etheric is going to be the aspect. That is just the base form. That is the aether. That's what you're manipulating. That's what the aspect is called. You can also later on uh, learn different aspects. So like fire, life, death, um, time, as you guys saw in the prologue. And you use those aspects to augment the effect of the form. So say I cast, for example, say I cast um, Tear Earth. I could theoretically like rip off a piece of the earth and then how the form works is you can like chuck it at something. But in the prologue, you saw a few times we cast Tear Time, which is going to allow us to physically like tear a hole in the space-time continuum, basically, and move through it. So that's why you know forms and chants or forms and aspects and chants are really cool because you can make it into whatever you want it to be. Right now, we have like a basic list of forms and aspects um, and what their effects would be. But how we've designed it is if you can. If you can justify its effect, we'll allow it. Um, and that's what I really like about it is you can 
change it and personalize it in so many different ways. But because we wanted to make it as uh, easily simplified for anybody to be able to pick up, we also have provided um, in our in our pre-alpha guide that I have been working on, uh, we've provided a list of aspects and their effects in case you just want to be like, oh, tear time would just mean that like you switch places and with somebody else. You still deal, deal damage with tear, but you just switch places with them in the initiative order. Yeah. Um, but like Brittany said, and this is how we encourage it, and I have written it so many times, is if you can justify it, be creative. We want you to be. The, we want everybody to have so much freedom in this game because it's so much more fun if you do. So when creating the magic system, we wanted a certain way to like cast this magic. So we created different foci for doing different things with them to kind of prevent casters from feeling like they didn't have weapons they could upgrade like the melee did, or they could still do things to sort of they could still do things to sort of also customize they, the way they use their chance. Um, so we, we created staves, wands, relics, and tomes for our different foci. Um, so right now, because again, everything's, everything's shifting. Um, with each rank above rank one, the forms cast using staves gain an additional 1d6 that can be used to increase range, damage, or duration of a form or chant cast using the staff. That does not require the use of any additional AP, which is why staves are really cool. Um, tomes, we still need to flesh out like a little bit more. It's really complex at the moment, um, especially for just this little tiny two-sentence line. <laughs> Um, but with tomes, the caster using a tome may add a number of forms to the tome equal to the rank of the tome. The caster still has to spend XP to add the form to the tome. However, when casting the form from the tome, they spend no AP to cast that form. And then wands, forms and chants cast using the wand may target a number of creatures equal to the rank of the wand. The form or chant is copied each time and has the same effect on each target. At that as well, if you add an aspect to it, it would do that same effect to each of those creatures. Exactly. Um, relics are a little bit more complex, and like I said, I don't really want to dive into like numbers too much. Instead of you having to spend XP to level up these items, so like jewelry or weapons, basically, um, these relics gain XP, a certain <laughs> amount of XP from the monster that you've killed. Um, and then they level up on their own equal to the amount of XP that it normally would require to level up that item. So, for example, right now, leveling up from rank 1 to rank 2 in a uh, for like a sword is 1,000 experience. So if your sword gained 1,000 experience from killing several monsters, it would then level up to rank 2 instead of requiring you to spend that experience. And then all of their players still gain the same amount of experience they normally gain. They're not losing experience because your weapon decided to gain more experience. So the next big thing I wanted to dive into was equipment. Richard, you created this really dope weapon for Raven. And so therefore, you've kind of done more along the lines of weapon equipment than anybody else has yet. Do you want to like? Do you want me to just share the like skeleton and you kind of give your I, like your interpretation of how the system works so far? Yeah, I'm into that. Cool. So um, we're gonna go with weapons first. So we, I think Richard and I talked about this about a year ago now. Oh, we man. were we were real, real pumped, and we still are really pumped about the the idea of giving everybody the ability to fully customize your character with, where the only limits are your imagination. And one thing that I've like kind of been uh, irritated with with D&D in 5th edition is that they kind of got rid of all these really cool materials that they added in 4th edition, and those materials changed the way a weapon affected its environment. Um, so... We have our weapons that we've already addressed. You can level up by spending XP or turn them into relics to gain XP on their own. And then by ranking them up, they get to do an, ex like an extra 1d6 damage per rank. Um, they also have other perks that I don't really want to dive into right now. We'll talk about them more when we actually use them if we use them. 
But what was was really cool is we also added the ability to um, forge a weapon or modify a weapon using a new material, something that Richard did with Raven, and I think you and Brittany did with several with two weapons in the next session as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but so these are right now we have like Umbra ore, Obsidian, Dragon Bone, stuff like that that like changes the way the weapon works. And you guys saw that with Richard's dope. What was it? So the base weapon was a quarter staff. That's mostly what I was using technically. Okay. Um, another thing that so Paul mentioned that they have certain skills, um, and then we're we're not really going into it because we're still we're still not like set on what exactly is going to be on what or do what. Um, but so certain types of weapons are going to be able to do certain types of things. So. Like a, a blunt weapon would do like damage to an armor if it maybe didn't do damage to the character. But if you got a weapon like I made my quarterstaff, I put... The quarterstaff has like a weighted end that's normally the top of it, but I added a blade to the bottom of it to make it sort of scythe-like, which at that point adding that blade allowed me to choose between the blunt end or the slicing end to deal that slicing damage as opposed to the blunt damage. Um, and so with that, what the idea is, is that if you see on there a flail, you could instead make a flail that instead of having like a weighted spike ball has blades on it. And so it would do something different than it would if it just had that ball on it, um, allowing you to further customize everything. Um, and I very thoroughly enjoyed it, and I uh, am very looking forward to playing a character very similar to that one. <laughs> nice. Um, in addition to that, we actually like added um, all the perks that weapons can get, so that if a character is just like, man, I really wish that my, I guess, broad axe had the ability to parry, if you can explain how a blacksmith would make that, then you could make that happen. Um, and the, like I said, the list of those perks will be available and is available in our pre-alpha test that we're running right now. We plan on like allowing you to add like access to flintlock pistols or bayonets and stuff like this. Like like seriously, I I feel like a lot of games that we've played have been really limited and I like I want Necroforge to feel fully customizable to everybody. Um so yeah. Then in addition we have our armor. Um so armor has, we have like a base set of armor. So this is like your regular like robes, leather, scale, chain mail, all that kind of stuff. Um, and it gives you a base like stat boost to your defenses, um, which we didn't actually go over. So we should probably touch on that here in a second. Um, but yeah, each each armor like gives you a specific set of defense, like a boost to defenses, like your reflex, your will, your fortitude. Um, but then once again, you can change the material to add like dragon scale or like steel instead and then add an additional defense boost um i also got really nervous about our defenses in general which like i said like like you said richard we're going to go over it here in just a minute so we decided that you can also gain greaves gloves and a helmet you only gain like the base defense of like robes giving you a plus one reflex plus three will um you only gain that with your primary armor if you decide to wear like a steel helmet, you get a plus one to your fortitude as well. Um, you don't get the other bonuses; you just get that plus one to your fortitude. So that allows for defenses to get higher, so that when you start rolling five or sixty sixes against something, they will be able to actually block it potentially. Or you could just roll all five or all ones and just get a five, which could suck too. So our defenses are based upon your attribute number um modifier well i guess yeah modifier number so how it works is say i have an eight in finesse and a six in acuity those two modifiers added together so with a with an eight it would be a plus three and with a six it would be plus one those two numbers make your reflex defense stat so then i would have a, a four reflex so if something's rolling to hit my reflex and it rolls a five or above, four or above? Four or above, yeah. Four or above, um, it's going to hit my reflex. 
So might and build makes your fortitude, and then um, uh, and then reason and appeal make your will. So a lot of magical things are going to try to hit your will or your reflex. Um, you know, physical attacks are going to hit either your fortitude or your reflex and it it makes it so that you have to kind of balance those out because you get to choose where those points go when you start yeah yeah when you start and then you know you can also have armor that augments those things so like janice was wearing some crazy like gloves like mithril gloves or some junk that upped his will a bunch um so those are pretty much i think the like base rules for just because i don't really want to go like super in depth this is a 50 page document so far the last thing I did really want to touch on before we call it as far as the rules are concerned and go into like what our character like what the next characters you're gonna see um, is just experience. Right now, the way we have it is that each player's character gains XP equal to what the monster had. So if a monster's XP was 2500, each character that defeated the monster gains 2500 experience. That's what we have in the rules to allow for that insane XP growth that you have to get to start buying those really expensive perks and skills and attributes. Um, Obviously, if you're playing and you're like, nope, Paul's dumb, then that's fine. You can do it your way. Um, I just wanted to let everybody know that that's how we're doing it. I also give everybody XP for roleplay later, which is not something that we address in the pre-alpha, but I just felt like it was necessary with how everybody role-played in the next session, so. Um, do we talk about monsters much in these episodes? Um, I haven't talked about, like, how they're designed, because monsters are really designed very similar to characters. They each have, and I mean, there's there's a ten-step explanation for how to make your own monsters in this guide that I made. I don't know why I put that in the pre-alpha, but I did. Just for fun. <laughs> I so. guess. I guess. Um, but yeah, they're designed just like characters where you have your, your attributes, your defenses, your HP, your AP, your movement, your initiative, your skills, your abilities. So like their armor that they wear, their immunities, that kind of stuff. And then their actions, like their attacks, um, like when that mon- when the colony that you guys fought uh, shelled up or when that like elephant charged you guys, actions like that. And then they also have, I guess this is a different one, is their level up abilities. So when you guys die... I mentioned this at the end of the last episode when uh, we were checking to see if Maddie's character, Karis, had any XP. If she had, that colony may have actually leveled up and gained this horrifying ability. I'm going to find it real quick just to give you guys a little treat of that. (laughs) While you're doing that, I'll touch on that a little bit more. So I mentioned in the beginning of the first prologue episode that the game was designed to be really difficult. Essentially, characters and monsters are the same. You could probably at any time like pick up a monster and play as that monster as your character as long as you like picked a class. So it's designed to where like sure, you gain experiment experience when you kill a monster, but that monster is going to gain experience when it kills you too. And kind of similar to like in Dark Souls where you have to go back for that experience. You have to go back and you have to kill that monster to get that experience back. And that that monster is going to gain abilities as they gain experience just like a player does. Well, just a little treat before we finish up. So if Maddie had had an extra 5,000 experience, this creature would have gained Entangle. It is a new attack uh, using its nature skill, which was 3d6, <laughs> plus its uh, reason, which was 4. Versus all the player's reflex. Targets up to three creatures within 10 meters of the creeper colony. The attack can only be made after the creeper colony has been rooted, which was a previous thing. Yeah, if it hits the creatures, it deals 1d6 damage per round. The target remains entangled. Targets can only escape by dealing 10 slashing damage to the entangling vines. Each round the target is entangled. They move two meters closer to the creeper colony as a free action of the creeper colonies. When the entangled creature reaches the creeper colony, they are swallowed into the bowels of the colony and they take 66 corruption damage but are no longer entangled. So like what you did voluntarily. Yeah, which is not a good place to be. I know now. (laughs) I just wanted to share that with you guys because I have a feeling we're going to start encountering some leveled up monsters. Um, I know Brittany plans on providing a trigger warning because I'm a disturbed human being and create disturbing monsters, so I'm very sorry for that. (laughs) Anything I feel like needs a content warning, I'll put it in the description 
of the episode, but just a general content warning of like gore and just like death. Just like be aware that that is a thing that in this show you can expect. Um, and not that we're meaning to be offensive in any way. It's just like this, that's how that that's how this game was designed. Like think Dark Souls. I design these monsters um, and Brittany and Richard can attest to this. I'm really great at running horror campaigns. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> and so I've designed this game to be more of a horror dark thriller kind of game. I want the humor. I love the humor that we get um, because it really lightens the mood. But I take historical references, and I will warn everybody now, this entire, like, overarching campaign is a vague historical reference that is creepy and disturbing. But it's it's to provide this really cool, dark atmosphere that I, that I feel is the only way to make it fit with a world where you die all the time and come back to life. In a yeah. way that, like, really? You're all liches. Yeah, no, we're su- everybody's a lich. Everybody's a lich. So I guess if I guess what I'm saying there is if you guys like creepy horror stuff, this game's for you. If you're not really into the creepy horror stuff, I've still designed some really cool monsters, but design it your own way. Like this the campaign that I'm running is not for everybody. The monsters that I've designed are not for everybody. Um, and that's why I kind of try to mix in a lot of different kinds of monsters. So we're going from like ghosties to creepy vine creatures that were so cool to design. Yeah. Um, and then later on to like lichens and gods and stuff like that. Like this is, this is, a, I wanted to really, really dive into a lot of the different things that you can encounter in this world. Um, and I will continue to try to do that to you for you guys. And uh, another thing that I think, at least with the system, I like as a word, you can use it to customize any sort of setting that you'd like to play. Like we're playing this horror setting with this campaign that Paul is coming up with, but this is gonna be just like it would have been with like any D&D starter kit. Like they'll have a couple missions for you. The goal is to give you sort of like a a starting point. So especially with the way Paul's set up the uh, monster designs, um, you can just sort of create your own thing, like create like an underwater campaign where all your characters are underwater creatures and you fight monsters under there and stuff like that. But yeah, so basically what, what we're saying is, sorry if I'm disturbing you, <laughs> yeah. um, I would still, like, if, if you see the trigger warning, Brittany creates these previously on episodes so that, or these previously on portions of the episode so that you can catch up even if my horribly disturbed mind um, creeps you out in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Um, but no, that's not, that's not my goal. That's not my goal in this game. My goal in this, in this game is to provide really cool, historically, like, real-world historical referenced monsters and a wide variety of monsters beyond just your regular old goblin. We're, we're playing to give you guys a really cool story, to provide you with the experience of watching this game develop, and then also to give us the feedback to help it develop into something that you prefer. So for real... When we tell you, when we beg you to give us feedback, give us feedback. That in mind, before we jump into character creation, I did want to say a huge shout out to Stephen Lynch for his like six paragraph feedback that he gave me, and then also to Jay Lane for his feedback on our magic system that like really helped us feel good about the fact that we're doing some edgy but really cool stuff with magic. So. Alright, so my name's Richard, and I'm going to be playing the Half-Orc Thurgo. Um, I'm a f- I chose Fighter as my starter class. I'm probably going to build a pretty straight Fighter, uh, just to allow me to be pretty good at getting hit and hitting things. Um, I'm As a Half-Orc, I know that I'm Half-Orc, um, but I don't know who my other parent was, so I don't know who my other half is. Really, that's, I think, Thurgo's biggest driving force is to try to find out whose other parent was. It was a dire uh, elf. 
Oh, that would be dope. Diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Diarrhea. The bad guy or isn't really again. the bad guy isn't really Fuck. the owner guy. It's Man. you. Um, and uh, as an orphan, um, just decided to be really cool to people, which is I think why we all became friends, because we're all cool to people. So what happened to your mom that resulted in like you ending up in an orphanage? Uh, she died in childbirth, I was told. Okay, so told. so your father was the half-orc, and then your mother was something else, but she's yeah. dead now? Yeah, And so somebody just probably dropped you off at an orphanage? Yep. Okay, okay. Bummer. Yeah, bummer. How's your character dealing with that? Well, he kills things, so <laughs> probably not well. <laughs> Fair enough. It's <laughs> not a healthy... Thurgo found a healthy outlet in adventuring. <laughs> and stabbing. <laughs> Smashing their skulls. Smashing. Being <laughs> a tank, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just get up in there, buddy. Oh my goodness. So hi, I'm Brittany, and I'm going to be playing Nariel, an elf druid. I don't know, I'm going to be kind of melding into fighter a little bit, probably a little bit into gunslinger. I'm just going to be all over the place. So that's where she's at. Um, she was an orphan as well, was also dropped off as a baby uh, at the orphanage in Aetherhold, um, and then just stayed there until she was old enough to be on her own. Never, you know, never got adopted. She kind of picked up um, she liked hanging out outside, so she kind of picked up the druidic craft from, like, books and things that she was able to get her hands on, but never really, but never really had any sort of teacher. Um, so she's just kind of been doing it on her own. And then when she was old enough, they let her loose, and she's just been in Aetherhold ever since then and hasn't really gone on any adventures, uh... Her BFF is Thurgo because they spent their entire lives in the orphanage together. So they just became really close and still hang out, obviously. That's all I got. Because you were never adopted, do you have this like innate desire to just provide love and adoption to like other things that you see with Oh, all the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm Maddie. I'm going to be playing a female elf wizard named Rayla. I'm not so sure if I'm going to branch into any other classes just yet. I might have to look into that first, but as of right now, solely just wizard. Um, like Nariel, I don't know what happened to my parents, so I was also dropped in the orphanage as a child, um, but I was adopted by an elder wizard um, and older man. He was human. Uh, he saw my magical potential and wanted to train me as his apprentice, but I ended up just doing common housework because the man looked like a slob. And I got tired of it, so I read his books and then ran away. And I found my way back into Aetherhold, and here we are now. It's very Mickey Mouse and, like, the beginning of Fantasia. You just, like... He's just like, just sweep and you just like make a giant mess. Not really an apprentice at all. So I kind of taught myself from his books and now I'm a wizard. You're a wizard, Rayla. (laughs) (laughs) What was the name of your adopter? Uh, fuck, I don't know. Let me think of a name real quick. Just go to Fantasy Name Generator. Yeah. Or I could just take a name. Or just, oh yeah, we have a name. I'm going to name him Elaine. Lane. Yep. His name was Lane. I like that you said it. I'm going to keep all of what we just talked about. So. Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. You were just like, Lane, his name is Lane. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to know that. Next is next. Um, so my name is Malachi. Um, I am going to be playing a female half-orc cleric named Nyx Ursa. Um, she was indeed orphaned. Um, at a very young age. She doesn't remember um, her birth parents at all. Um, She just, her first memory is waking up in an orphanage and be like, I don't know where I am, fam. Um, And she um, became friends with these lovely folks here and then promptly got adopted 
a few years later um, by a human couple who already had a son, um, and their son's name was Atticus. Hmm. It's a familiar name. Un- unfortunately, um, a year or two after she was adopted, um, those parents were killed, lost, don't know. They just didn't come home one day. Um, and so Atticus and Nick's kind of were on their own for a while, and they ended up back at the orphanage. Um, and that's where they've been pretty much ever since until they were old enough. Uh, and then Atticus went off to be an adventurer, and Nix hasn't seen him since he went off on his current adventure. So, so like, when we were all old enough, we just, like, bust down the door of the orphanage <laughs> and bailed. Yep. Like, it was that day, and we were just like, bye, and just, like, left. Are you guys all the same age, then? I don't actually know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what age we are. I didn't think about that, to be completely honest. How old are all of you? Yeah, I didn't really think about it. I guess you have to determine all of your ages now, since you all went to the orphanage together and left the orphanage together, I suppose. Well, with your mothering nature, do you want to have been in the orphanage first, and then that's how we became friends, or do you want to be the other way around? Um, I don't... I think that that's just Nariel's, like, personality. She's just mom friend. Mm -hmm. Um... That's well, yeah, I mean, that's how you, yeah, I was going to say that's how I you mean, in real yeah, life. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think it necessarily matters, like, how old I am, you know, Nariel is in relation to everybody else. It's just, like, when I showed up, mm. I became mom friend. Right. And I was just that way for until I left. Um, But, yeah, sure, I'll have gotten there first. Okay. So I'm, we'll say, like, 25. Okay. That's cool. That's probably a good idea because I'm, I'm youngish, younger than. Is Atticus older or younger than you are? Atticus is young or older than. Older? Me. Yeah. Cool. You're one young ass elf. I am a young elf, yes. Well, I mean, I was dropped off as an infant and then you hit a certain age and they're like, all right, get out. And I was friends with all these guys. So, yeah, I'm pretty young, but. Cool. Um, Nix, why did you decide to become a cleric? Um, I just, I want to heal people. Uh, or Nix wants to heal people. Nix was pretty sickly as a kid, I think. Um, and so it was partially she wanted to see what she could do to help herself and her brother. And also just help other people because... It feels good to help other people. To be real, though, those are, like, some pretty solid reasons for our classes. Mm-hmm. That's why I was, that's like, why I was like, I've got a reason for everybody's class except for Nick's. And Nick's, why are you a cleric? That makes sense. So that's why I asked. But, yeah, so we all just kind of decided that, so we came to the table and we were like, all right, what's everybody's backstory? Let's talk about it. And everybody was like, my parents are dead. And we were all <laughs> like, okay, guess that's how we met then. And then we <laughs> yeah. just kind of rolled with it. And I've got some pretty cool ideas for how to create like how to add those backstories to the world so thank you guys cool hell so i feel like rayla gave a solid enough explanation for how the um interaction with your party and aetherhold went Mm -hmm. um i think she did okay with that to you know provide enough of a here's what happened before um but there's a little bit of the world that we're that's like still unknown so i can go uh that we kind of didn't address. Mm-hmm. So I can go ahead and give that little description and tell everybody a little bit about the world itself. So I think I mentioned it briefly in the prologue, but there's not... I didn't like give a huge, too long explanation on the world. I don't really want to spend too long on that either because I discovered with several of my D&D campaigns that if you build an entire world, there's not much left for your players to influence. Um, other than just like small dis- discussions and stuff. So the world is like this continent looking thing. It's actually called Dara, like I mentioned. Um, either centuries or millennia ago, I haven't determined the timeline because frankly it doesn't matter. This super massive volcano erupted like a hundred times the size of Yellowstone's volcano and created this huge caldera. Um, it actually caused, it was like an apocalyptic event that destroyed everything. Um, but 
or it, it, it like killed everything. But with this caldera covered in volcanic ash, it was able to grow back faster than the rest of the world. And so quickly, the caldera that is now known as that is now known as Coil um, is this like paradise in a world of death. And so those that survived and are Aether Touch actually came to Coil and began building this new civilization, but still the like monsters and beasts and the death that's continued to consume the rest of Eternal um, kept creeping into Coil and trying to claim it as theirs. And death became a major issue that almost caused an extinction of all the humanoid races. And so this governmental body called the Order Eternal ended up working on trying to find a way to solve death. And through much trial and error, they created the phylactery, which is how everybody comes back to life after they die. Um, with this strange magic that I'm not going to explain because I, have an ex- I don't have an explanation. I'm not a magic user. Um, through the strange magic basically when a person dies if they have a phylactery their body and everything turns to ash and returns to this phylactery where it is then rebuilt like reconstructed almost cloned um, but with all their gear all their armor everything that they have um, and their original bodies but there are still um, a lot of different issues throughout the world like just because they solve death doesn't change the fact that things are still creeping into coil and trying to take it over for themselves um one of the prevalent enemies from the previous episodes were forsaken there are these are humanoids that are not aether touched and therefore their souls cannot be placed in phylacteries um they are considered evil beings and shunned by the order eternal and thus the church and clerics um, as for Aetherhold, the city that we're, our players are currently playing in, um, the city itself was founded on top of this Therum mine that a gnome discovered um, early on in the settlement of Coil after Grand Cathedral was uh, developed. Um, and basically it's like this, the mine itself is a bunch of solid Therum crystal as well as molten Therum, which are like stones imbued with etheric energy to the point where it's just pure Aether. Um, it's what a lot of wizards or non-wizards use to cast forms if they don't have the AP to cast them themselves. But yeah, it has become a pretty major settlement. It's a pretty huge area. Um, the main point of commerce is basically the uh, trade of Aether and Therum Crystal. Um, so they've got a pretty direct route to Grand Cathedral where... They use a lot of energy, a lot of um, etheric energy to resurrect people using the phylacteries as well as create more phylacteries um, as well as just power the city itself. Um, obviously, in the prologue, your characters discovered that Argotherian Arboron had gone missing. Um, you probably found the culprit, but nobody else knows this because you died and your souls were taken away by a crazy gnome named Keats. <laughs> In the present day, Arcotherian Arboron has been missing for a little over a month now. And in addition, phylacteries are going missing as well. So there's beginning to, um, well, this, this distrust of the church and the order is um, growing throughout Coil as people are taking their phylacteries from the local churches and storing them themselves, which probably results in more phylacteries going missing but basically like the entire governmental body um, that is the order eternal has kind of declared this state of emergency as they're trying to figure out where these phylacteries are going so that's um kind of where we find ourselves i know like i said rayla will explain some more in her explanation to this to the tavern but i think that kind of covers it
Hey everyone, this is Brittany. Thank you so much for listening to our rules episode. We had a lot of questions about the ins and outs of Necroforge and kind of all the rules, so we're really glad we were able to record this before we launched the first episode after the prologue. Thank you so much to Jay Lane, who is one of our uh, subscribers on Podbean, um, and who is also now the name inspiration for Lane, Rayla's wizardry master. I'm sure we will see him sometime soon, don't you worry, Jay. Thank you again as well to Darren Curtis, who is the guy who composes all the music for the show. His website is darrencurtismusic.com, and on that website he's got a lot of music that you can use in commercial and non-commercial projects for free. So we really appreciate him for just putting that out there, and if you want to check out his music, go to that website because it's really, really cool. I also wanted to mention that we are going to be releasing our pre-alpha guide soon. Um, That's going to be, you know, races, classes, monsters, equipment, all the stuff that you're going to need to play. Um, It also has a little how to build your own monster guide, um, which is a really cool thing that Paul decided to add in just so that, you know, because he's realized that he's not going to think of all the monsters that he could possibly make. But so it's going to have that in there um, and it'll also have like a little campaign guide and that'll be starting from um, the beginning of the campaign that we're currently playing. So um, we're kind of in the middle of it now and you'll listen from kind of, you know, after the first little adventure. Um, But the guide will include everything like from the beginning. Um, So that'll be really cool and just kind of a little way to get you guys started. We're in the midst of editing it right now, but if you are interested, I'm going to be posting a link in the description and that'll take you to a page where you can sign up to be a part of the alpha. Um, I have a few people signed up already, but I would love to get as many people as we can just so that we can, you know, test the heck out of this thing. Um, So again, that link will be in the description and you can follow it and sign up. It just needs like your email and your name. Um, so go ahead and follow that link. And then once we release the pre-alpha after we're done editing it, you will get an email with the pre-alpha in it and it will just be the entire guide in a PDF form. Um, so yeah, do that. Next week is going to be the first episode of like the first arc, like officially. That's going to be with all the characters that you heard about today. So that's going to be Thurgo and Nariel and Rayla and Nyx. Rayla in her little bar scene in that episode kind of catches everybody up on what's been happening in the story so far. So don't worry. We know that you don't know what's going on. We're going to fix it. It's okay. Also next week will be the start of our every other week episode. So next week will be an episode and then we won't have another episode after that for two weeks. Um, And then after that point, the only episodes that are going to be on a week after week basis are going to be just like bonus episodes like this. So if we have like a rules introduction or like if we switch arcs or whatever, we need to introduce like new characters or whatever. That's going to be like a bonus episode midweek or like like in the middle. But after this, we'll only be posting like official episodes every other week. Again, thank you so, so much for listening to this episode. Um, If you like us, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and that's going to be Guild of Misfits. And then if you have any feedback, you can contact us through any of those, or you can contact us at uh, guildofmisfits at gmail.com. Once again, if you're interested in the pre-alpha, please follow the link in the description box, and we'll see you again next week.